Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm delighted to be speaking today with May Chen. May is managing partner of Chen Palmer, Australasia's first public law specialist firm, which she founded in 1994, together with Sir Geoffrey Palmer. May has a master's degree from Harvard Law School and is one of New Zealand's top constitutional and administrative law experts, specialising in central and local government policy and legislation. Alongside running Chen Palmer, May has taken on a range of different roles. She's been an adjunct professor at the University of Auckland at the School of Law. She was the inaugural chair at New Zealand Global Women. She also currently chairs both New Zealand Asian Leaders and the Superdiversity Institute for Law, Policy and Business. And as well as that, she's also currently a director on the board of BNZ. May has been widely recognised for her contributions and was a top 10 finalist in both the 2014 and the 2016 New Zealander of the Year Awards. I'm really looking forward to speaking to her today and hearing more about her career. So, kia ora May, and thank you very much for joining me. Oh, Anna, kia ora, and thank you so much for that very kind introduction. No problem. So the first question I would love to ask you, May, is before we get into the founding of Chen Palmer, which I'd love to hear more about, but the first question I'd like to ask would take you a little while back into your childhood. And I know for you that in particular, you had a fascinating start and introduction to New Zealand where you came age six from Taiwan with your family. When you were a child or even a teenager and you were thinking about your career, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I, I have I, I have no idea. I came to New Zealand when I was young and we were completely disoriented and discombobulated. When I look back on my life, I feel as if I've lived four lifetimes. But certainly that initial 10-year period when we first arrived in the country not speaking English was tough. So I, I don't think I was thinking about what I was going to be. I was just trying to survive. I was trying to learn the language. I was trying to learn the culture. We were trying to get enough to eat. And we were just trying to figure out how everything was done in the world when we didn't have any relatives here and we had very few friends and contacts. So I think it's an overstatement to say, what did I want to be? By the age of 15, I'd learned to speak English and I did win the Rotary Speech Competition. It was a national speech competition. And so I suppose at that time I was learning that I could talk and that was good. But I think ultimately I went into law for two reasons. First of all, I did want to help people. But secondly, my mum and dad were very keen that I not be a professional athlete which was a shame. They had both been professional, well, very proficient athletes. My dad was invited to New Zealand to train the New Zealand gymnastics team. So he met my mum on the track and field. She was an elite athlete. So not surprisingly, uh, I was pretty keen to be an elite athlete, but that wasn't what they really wanted for me. They wanted me to be a professional. So I considered a law degree and I enrolled and I got in. You probably also must have quite enjoyed it because you've stuck with it for a long time. So what is it about law that you that really interests you? Well, actually, I tried to quit law school after my first year in my honours degree. I just decided that law school really wasn't made for people like me. 
I didn't come from a family of lawyers. Indeed, me and my sister, Mindy Chenwishart, who is now the Dean of Law at Oxford University in Oxford in the UK. We were the first two lawyers in the family and I didn't clerk at mummy or daddy's firm. And I always asked questions as to why the law should be the way it was. And that frustrated a lot of my professors who said, look, lady, I'm not here to tell you what the law should be. I'm just here to tell you what the law is. I, I, I felt like a fish out of water, really. I felt like a square box in a round Whole. So I, I actually did try and quit, but it turned out to be incredibly difficult to do that without making everybody very upset. So I hung in there. I ended up graduating top equal in law school, but that just goes to show how law school can make you feel incredibly dumb, even if you're not necessarily that dumb. And then I won a scholarship to Harvard. I think that I've hung in so long because ultimately I find law fascinating. It's not a mountain you can scale. It's a series of peaks and once you've climbed one, there's another one. And once you've climbed the next one, there's another one. And I come to work every day and I'm endlessly challenged and I'm always learning. I go home every day and I've learned. And often I get an amazing opportunity to help people get themselves in an enormous amount of trouble. And it really taxes me. It taxes my brain power my problem-solving abilities, it taxes my empathy, it taxes my authenticity in dealing with them, it taxes my communication skills, my ability to teach them about where they're currently at and what it is I need them to do and why I'm doing what I'm doing. It, in so many ways, law requires, if you are going to be a successful practitioner, to front up and be your best self every day. And I guess that's why I ultimately throughout my career, and I've thought about doing X, Y, and Z, and I've tried just about everything. There isn't anything that I haven't wanted to do that I haven't dabbled in. But ultimately, I've always come back to the law because for some reason, I love it. And I'm relatively successful at it. Some of the other things I've tried, it's not that I can't do them, but they're quite hard work. And then ultimately, they may have a fascination for me for a while, but they generally don't hold my attention long term. Chen Palmer has been like being in 10 different law firms. That's why I've never been able to leave. There's always something different going on. There's always a new subject matter. There are always new areas being regulated. There are always new policies being developed. So even today, I've said to a journey, please get me all the research on X. In fact, I've done that for two clients today because it's completely new and it's evolving and it's developing, and I'm having to study and swatch and get up to speed. But also the number of times throughout a day where I'm holding people's hands or empathising with them or trying to do the very best for them, Anna, which is not a mathematical equation. Law is not often technically, well, not the law I do. Uh, the law I do also is very different. In many ways, I've developed a niche of helping people that nobody else can help. So often other lawyers have had a go and it hasn't worked. So they, they stagger here as a last resort. So that means that you really have to be your best self. You have to think about the technical legal problem. You have to think about the policy, the politics, the media. And then you have to think about who you know and who might be able to help this client. 
Fascinating. And for me, I like the way you describe it in terms of other things that maybe caught your attention, but it's the law that you've stuck with because of the learning, because of the challenge, because of the variety, because of the people as well. Really interesting to hear that, your take on it. If you think back to some of those first few years of your career, what were some of the highlights and challenges of those first few years for you? It's difficult being a face that never fits, really. (laughs) I'm never the, the candidate from Casting Central because I don't generally look like anybody else. And also, because I came from a really distant culture, even as a young child, it's very difficult to fit in. I think the hardest challenge is not to sound like a Kiwi and to be able to speak English and to mimic the idioms. The hardest thing is to really inculcate the culture And when you come from a really different place with a really different culture, that is very hard to do. And I suspect that the place where I found it hardest is really in people management, because the environment for people management in New Zealand is very different from an environment for people management in Asia. And having said that, Asia is billions of people and it's 45 countries. So it's hard to generalise. But let me tell you, it's profoundly different. The values are different. The practices are different. The policies are different. And culturally, it's very different. You know, not an easy challenge, I have to say, to actually to feel like in many ways that you didn't fit in and to be able to adapt to, yeah, I like the way you put it, not, it's not the language. It's actually really just the culture and the, and the way of life, the way that people act and behave in New Zealand. The difficulty is that r- recruiters often have a set formula of what they're looking for And so the difficulty is trying to convince them that you fit their criteria, even though you don't turn up or present yourself in an interview in the same way. You have to convince them that even though you don't fulfill their stereotype, nevertheless, you still fit the bill. And I think the fact that affinity bias exists is very strong. People look at another young white male and say, oh, look, that that person reminds me of me when I was that age and I want to give that person a go. The difficulty is that being me, generally there is nobody who looks like me in a position of power who says, oh gosh, she reminds me of me when I was young and I'm going to give her a go. I absolutely know what you mean. I think that is a particular challenge. And so in many ways you were pioneering and have laid the groundwork for many others to follow you as well. And we, you said then that you met Sir Jeffrey Palmer, wrote a book together, were working together at Victoria University. What prompted, you, know, you, you would have been pretty young still when you set up your own law firm. What prompted that move to set, set up your own firm? I became a senior lecturer in law when I was 26 years of age. I was the youngest senior lecturer in law at the time in law in any law school in New Zealand. And I would have happily stayed in academia, I think. But Sir Geoffrey did say to me after a while that he thought that there was not much else for me to learn at my age and stage at the faculty. And he thought that I might be better, well, that I would find private practice more challenging. I was not at all sure that was right uh, for me. But I thought, look, if I don't try it now, I I probably will never try it because, you know, I have a family and and then basically university life is very amenable to raising a family, I think. So I thought, well, give it a go. So I then went into private practice. I decided that since I'd been at the university, I should try private practice as opposed to going into a government department or Crown Law. And 
that's really how it started. I actually loved academia, but I actually discovered that even though I was quite a good law academic, I was actually a better practitioner. Uh, Private practice suits me in many ways. And I guess that comes back to the question you asked me previously about why I've stayed. Ultimately, life is about finding your icky guy. What is it that the world needs? What is it that you're good at doing? What is it that you can get paid for? And what do you feel passionate about? Trying to find a combination of those things often results in a sweet spot. I think the major breakthrough for me, now having been in practice for many years, probably happened during COVID last year. I realised that if I would just allow myself to practice fewer hours every week, then actually uh, this was my icky guy, um, that making myself work crazy hours, which I had for years and years, was the only thing that was distressing about law and that if I could just learn to work hard during work week days but not work all the time, that actually it was enormous fun and there wasn't actually anything more fun. The conversation really started with my son. I was telling him about the four-day week because I know the person who has instigated that in New Zealand. And Jack said to me, well, mum, why don't you try a five-day week for a start and see how that goes. Now, that made me realise that actually working seven days a week is not ideal. So COVID then happened. And if you'd ever in your career just wanted the world to stop so that you could just get off for a second and have a breather, that was the perfect opportunity. So I was a bit naughty. I stayed home for eight months. And yes, I I did. I appeared remotely in court. I did all sorts of things. I, I did have to come in and out uh, a wee bit. After eight months, I think the staff made it clear that it actually was really time for me to come back to work, and I am now back at work. But I think the lessons I inculcated during that time was that if I could just work a little less and at a slower pace, that actually there is nothing more fun for me to do. I love practising law. Your your son made me laugh about the four-day week. Uh, How about you just try a five-day week and giving that a go? But it's not easy, and particularly if you do enjoy your work, as well as there will be always people that you're trying to help. I can imagine it would have an enormous pull for you. I think when you are a migrant and you've always had to work really hard throughout your life to prove yourself, it does make you quite a driven individual. And also, I just don't like to lose. I've never liked losing. (laughs) So it turns out that I'm the perfect lawyer and I'm the lawyer I would hire if I got in trouble. When I get seized of a problem, I do stay at it like a dog with a bone. And it's part of the secret of your success, but it's also a weakness. I mean, if I think about the number of hours I've worked and the number of years I've worked those hours, I deserve a three-year sabbatical. So anyway, I've been... I've just discovered, Anna, this revelation, which is called a weekend. And it's amazing. You only work five days and then you get two days off. It is amazing. I've been just talking to my family about how marvellous it is. And they all smile that mum has finally learnt that actually weekends are a good thing. And I was interested to to hear, we talked about some of those perhaps early challenges. What have been some of your, if you look back at the whole of your career to date, and it might be hard to pick a few, but what have been your proudest career moments? Oh, that's so hard to say. And I think sometimes other people have to judge that for you because sometimes the things you find easiest may result in the best outcome. 
because you're super talented at something and it just comes naturally. Also, sometimes life is just luck, Anna. It's just a convergence of timing and jam side up for a change and people coming to you and the party, the lawyers on the other side being helpful and constructive. And sometimes it just goes right as opposed to parties where, I don't know, I have clients and it's just jam side down, just everything goes wrong and it's just like that for the entire file. And on all files, one party has to lose. But I've not just done law things and I've done a lot of law things. Trust me, I've been working enormous hours for a very long time, but I have also contributed through the Super Diversity Institute and we've written some important reports, I believe, about how being culturally and linguistically diverse affects access to justice in the courts and how it affects health and safety because the culture you come from is really different from the culture here. And I've set up New Zealand Asian leaders and I've set up New Zealand Asian lawyers and I've brought together super diverse women. I've tried to profile the importance not only of gender, but of culture and ethnicity to diversity. I've written books. I wrote Public Law Toolbox while I was practicing. It's not the best book in the world, but it's it was groundbreaking in its time because it documented a different way of practicing law. All my competitors said to me, oh, you're mad. You've just taught us how to do it. I've said that I don't think anyone should have a monopoly on those things. I think as a person that was an immigrant and was an outsider, to become an insider and to learn what that meant, it was important for me to share that. So I guess, Anna, what I'm proudest of is the fact that I haven't just practiced law and looked after my clients and made money. I have tried at every stage of my career to give back. And I think that is my way of expressing gratitude for having come to this country, becoming citizen of this country, and for the opportunities this country has given me. I've never wanted New Zealanders to go, oh my goodness, she came here and all she did was suck us dry and she hasn't given us anything. To the contrary, I wanted them to think goodness, here are some immigrants, they've made a real contribution. Maybe we should think differently about immigrants to the country, about people who've adopted New Zealand as their homeland. Because certainly the culture, the values of this place is a New Zealand as a country that I adore living in. Wonderful. And I think that notion of super diversity fascinated me. And I enjoyed a couple of your talks that you've done online about it. But I really liked hearing there, actually, when you went underneath it all, some of the things that you may be proud of are those times when you've given back. Really fascinating. And where do you see your own career now heading in the future, May? I've just read a very powerful book out of Christmas. And once again, it was given to me by my husband. And he is just wonderful because he always curates my reading. And since he has a doctorate in English literature, he's a very good person to curate my reading. So he always gives me six books, really, for Christmas. And this book is called Falling Upwards. And it's about the second half of your life. It's about the fact that the first half is all about building your CV and doing all the things we're supposed to do, buying a house and being successful in your career and earning money and establishing a reputation and being famous. Look, I don't know. All of the things that people tell you we're supposed to be doing, Anna, whatever that is. But the second part of your life is different. It's where you leave all of that and say, well, actually, my life's not about what you think about it. My life is what it is I'm really supposed to be doing. Because actually, there's a lot of things I could do, but they were not meant for me to do. And so I need to leave those things because time is running out and I have a confident expectation I will die. 
So what is it that I am supposed to be doing? So I can't tell you how liberated and free I feel now. I'm liberated and freed from the need to impress anybody or to convince anybody that I am not an idiot and that I'm successful. Frankly, if they still think that, it's just too late. I have just decided to tune out all of those voices and just to say to myself, well, May, what should you be doing with your time? And so I'm making sure that I'm still looking after my clients. I am looking very hard at the work that I take. I'm not taking everything that comes. I'm taking work where I can do a really good job in my core business. And I'm saying to myself, what should I be doing with my time? So that is huge. And and it's in some ways, I'm ready to fall upwards. I'm ready to be Mei Chen. I'm ready to stop trying to be anybody else. And I'm ready to do what it is I'm supposed to do, even if it's unpopular and people think I've gone mad. Wonderful and wonderfully freeing too, as you said, to to step away from the feeling of needing to impress anyone anymore and just to do what you think you want to do should be doing. Yeah, fantastic. It sounds like a good book. I might well go and grab a coffee for myself as I head into the second half of my own career. And one last question, what career advice would you have for others? I think that... The key thing to success is just to say yes and put a lot of energy into the first half of your life. You're never going to know unless you try it. And sometimes you think you're going to like something and you hate it. And sometimes you think you're going to hate something and you you end up loving it. I went through law school never wanting to practice. I wasn't even going to get professionals and get admitted because I thought, well, I just want to be an academic. What a dummy I was. Actually, I was an okay academic. I'm a much better practitioner. So I just think that you can't know unless you experience it. And certainly I think that it's important to adopt the position as an explorer throughout your life. And look, some things will be a yes and some things will be a no. And I've often got upset when it's been a no, even if I didn't really want to do something. Sometimes I've tried to do things just because I could, even though I didn't actually really want to do them. And then when I couldn't do them, I got upset. I think you need to figure out what it is you really want to do. And I think the only way to do that is to try and then to let things go. If you tried something and it didn't happen and you never really wanted to do it anyway and you would suck at it, don't get upset about it. Move on. Remember, life is short. We are limited. We're going to die. So the important thing is to find out what it is you really like to do that gives you joy and fun. And most importantly, don't create a career that you want to run away from. I know lots of people who are hugely successful and they're the most miserable people I know. I used to be one of them. (laughs) I used to work myself so hard that actually I just was exhausted all the time. There's just no point. The important thing is to be kind to yourself and to give yourself an opportunity to just develop all of you, not just the narrow bits that people are interested in to climb the ladder. And anyway, life is about balance. I didn't think that when I was young. I thought it was all about building my CV because that's what I was told. It's not true, really. I think you should live a little along the way. Otherwise, you just end up at the end of your career, maybe enormously successful with a whole pile of money, but actually with a whole lot of living still to do, try and live as you along the way, try and enjoy the journey. Wonderful advice. Thank you, May. And it's been really interesting, really fascinating for me to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time and your words of wisdom. Wonderful. Thank you, Anna, for the opportunity. 
I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.